And uh, you never know. Uh, the Holy Spirit might begin authoring a story in you that takes you all around the world. Um, all right, shifting uh, to, to uh, the, uh, the sermonizing part of our time uh, together. I just want to start by letting you all know I don't care what you think. I just don't care what you think. Don't care. None of you. Doesn't matter. Healthy attitude, unhealthy attitude. What do you think? I'm getting some thumbs up, I'm getting some thumbs down, and I'm getting a lot of uncommitted people. I don't care what you think. Is that good? Is that bad? It depends, it depends what they think. If they think something good, I should care about it. Uh, all right. Uh, turn to somebody next to you and tell them that you care what they think or you don't care what they think. Go ahead. Just do that right now. You might look at the person next to you first. Take a moment, consider, and then form your judgment. Form your judgment. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, I care what you think. You look like a reasonable person. Your opinions count. There's no way I care what you think. All right, great. I think our work there is done. Uh, second warm-up question. Uh, everybody, uh, consider this. What stops you from asking God for what you want? What stops you from asking God for what you want? Not, not what you need necessarily, but you know, what you want. You know, you probably want some good things, but what stops you from asking God for what you want? What, what's something that might stop you? Guilt. Interesting answer. What else? Unanswered prayers, so past disappointments. I've already asked a million times and I'm kind of tired. Yeah, fatigue or uh, a sense of futility. Pride, which is interesting. You'd want to unpack that a little bit. All uh, really good answers. I think, as I think, of, as, as I think about it categorically, it's going to be like one, one of two types of things. Uh, the first one is going to have to do with fear, fear of disappointment or lack of faith. You know, fear is the opposite of, of faith. And, and the other generally has to do with a category of things that I would probably put under the heading of, of, of shame, uh, which is interesting when you think about defining shame. How would you define it? Embarrassment. embarrassment. Yeah, something to do with embarrassment, which is to say it has to do with what other people think of you, right? It's hard to be embarrassed when you're entirely alone. Like, you know, you're walking down the street, and, and you stumble and you fall, or you do that thing where you're walking down the street and you hit a street sign because you're not looking uh, where you're going. Anybody? Well, it's never happened to me, but I've seen people just kind of do that usually because they're on, on their phone, right? Bam. Uh, and the first thing that that person does is look around, right? Because what counts is whether somebody saw you. You know, it's what other people think of you. Uh, that's sort of the driver of embarrassment. So shame is a type of fear, but it's a fear of being judged, you know, by someone else, a, a, be, a fear of being judged and, and found wanting. Sometimes we can internalize shame, uh, which is sort of a preemptive self-judgment, like you're considering doing something, but very quickly you talk back to yourself and say, oh, no, do, don't do that. that, that would be embarrassing. 
you know, you kind of have this dialogue with yourself. I'm not going to do that for fear that it might become embarrassing to me, you know. Um, shame has to do with caring what others think of you. Even if it's a hypothetical other. It's like someone might think poorly of me if I do this and get found out. Or someone might think poorly of me if I do this and it doesn't work out. You know, it's that sort of thing. Um, do you think shame is a big factor in your life? Do you, do you think that you care a lot what other people think of you? On a scale of 1 to 10, where would you be? Everybody shout out a number. 10 being, I am entirely defined by what people think of me, or like zero, I am psychopathic, I care not a bit what other people <laughs> think of me. Where would you be? Consider a number, 1, 2, 3. I'm hearing, I'm hearing a lot of sevens, which is a holy number, we all know that. Uh, so, like, you, uh, you're getting a C, uh, like, what other people uh, think of you. I think fear of what people think of you is probably a huge factor uh, in your life. Um, it's a huge factor in most lives. It's been a huge factor in my life uh, as well, which is why I'm a little bit brash about it. You know, I go around saying to crowds of fairly friendly, supportive people, I don't care what you think, uh, because I almost have to. I almost have to be a little aggressive and a little too far out there where shame is concerned because, man, shame is an insidious thing. It is sneaky. It is pervasive. It just seeps into the cracks everywhere in life. There are a zillion potential sources of shame, only one of which is your guilt. Now, guilt is different than shame. Guilt is a feeling that you get because you realize that you've done something wrong. It can actually be extraordinarily healthy. I mean, if you don't feel guilty, then you are psychopathic, right? It's like you, you have no morality about you, and that makes you an extraordinarily dangerous person, not to mention just a really unhealthy person. Um, you know, guilt can be a great thing because guilt will lead to repentance. You know, you realize you've done something wrong, you'll feel bad about it, and then you'll, you'll fix it. Very healthy process. Uh, and all of us have guilt. I, I, I hope, I hope that all of us have guilt because all of us do things that are wrong from time to time. I've done 10 or 12 of them so far this morning um, that, that I know about. Some of you may point out others. Um, but everybody has guilt. Everybody should have guilt. Shame, though, is optional. Shame is, is when uh, you worry what other people think of you or what they put upon you. And the problem, uh, one of the many problems with shame uh, in, in, in my experience, is that if you feel a lot of shame, it often prevents you of handling your guilt. If you are prone to fear what other people think of you, then you hide your guilt, you bury it. Sometimes you won't even admit it to yourself, and that just gets terrible really quickly. So shame and guilt, very different things. You know, guilt can be super healthy, but fear of what people think of you, that, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. There's a healthy way, of course, to think that, to appreciate what people think of you, and that's to take input in people's wisdom. Hey, man, I need some advice. What do you think about this thing I just did? Or what do you think about this thing that I'm feeling? Is it good or is it bad? And, you know, I've got loads of people that speak into my life that way, and in that sense, I value their opinion. But I don't fear it, right? I don't let it control me because I'm an individual. 
and I live and die before God and before God alone, not before you guys, because I don't care what you think. All right, you got my point. Um, shame is a, is a crazy thing, and maybe by the end um, you will have considered a little bit, but I'm not really going to talk about shame today. Uh, I want to talk about shamelessness. I want to talk about freedom from shame and whatever the opposite attitude is. There's like fearing what other people think of you, and then, I don't know, what would the opposite be? What would you call it? What's a good word? Confidence? Not a bad word. Yeah, confidence can apply to a lot of different things, though, right? Um, not just to not caring what people think of you in a good way, but confidence figures in. Anybody got other suggestions? Freedom? Freedom, yeah, another one of those. Certainly there's a, if you're not controlled by what people think, you are a freer person than you would be otherwise. Yeah, freedom can apply to many things, but that's one of them. Any other good ones? Indifference, yeah, indifference is usually used in a negative way, like I just feel indifferent about it. Um, but I actually think there's a positive expression of it. It's like uh, what you matters doesn't really make a big difference to how I feel. And in that sense, I think indifference is probably good. There are lots of words along those lines, you know, indifference, um, uh, equanimity, you know, words that are associated with stoicism sometimes, if you know that. Yeah, I don't know exactly what the right word is. Uh, brashness might, might be a good one. Audacity might, might be a good one. Um, Self-security. Uh, this phrase doesn't get used a lot, but when I was a kid, I remember reading about it a lot, hearing it in sermons. That person is just self-secure. They're just secure in themselves, you know. That might be a good one. I don't know, just let those words uh, jumble around in, in your head a little bit, but we're going to talk about shamelessness or, or those words. We're going to talk about the power of being shameless. Uh, you ever know a person who is shameless? Yeah, some of you laugh. Yeah. Uh, there are people who just don't care, and then there are people who don't care, you know. Uh, there can be people who celebrate shame and guilt, and they're shameless that way. And then there are people who just kind of let it all hang out and aren't afraid, um, and they're shameless that way. If, if it's the latter sort of person who's just not afraid of public opinion, you know, not a person who doesn't value guilt, but a person who understands guilt, but, you know, is honest about their failings and stuff like that. That person is almost always a charismatic person. That person almost always makes you feel better to be around that sort of person. Is that true? A person is really honest and confident at the same time. You know anybody like that? That's interesting. I've seen almost no reaction. Do you know no one like that? How many of you, I mean, this is a serious question, how many of you can think of no one who inspires you by being honest about their failings and confident at the same time. You can think of no one. How many of you? How many of you just stopped listening seven or eight minutes ago? Here's my final warm-up question. Do you know why I ask warm-up questions? Do you know why I do that? Part of it is just I kind of want to make people comfortable and break social barriers and just kind of, you know, get us all comfortable with one another. 
but the heart of that is I am eradicating shame. Right? What I'm trying to do is getting people to open up. I'm trying to get people to express an opinion or to interact with a person because it directly challenges social nervousness. It directly challenges, well, shame. Right? It gets you to kind of get out of your head and not worry what other people think of you. Because I have found in decades of ministry now that shame shuts people down to the work of God pretty much faster than anything. Right? If you come in feeling guilty, I can deal with you. If you come in locked in shame, I can't even get to you. And so that's why I do that. And when I tease you about not being willing to raise your hand or interact with people, I just want you to know what my heart is. It's not to embarrass you. It's to free you of fear of embarrassment. Right? Oh, now you move your hands. Uh, and I just find teasing and humor to be really valuable that way. Because if you can laugh at yourself, or we can laugh at each other in a positive way, it kind of makes that spirit go away. And I don't, you might disagree with me, but I think that's one of the definitive characteristics of Blue Water Mission. It's a, it's a mostly shame-free place. And people come in here and they get ministered to and they don't even realize what's going on. What's going on is just that fear of judgment kind of goes away. Right? And... I preach grace so you don't fear judgment of God, but I do stuff like this so you don't feel judgment from the people around you because that's the judgment that dominates your life day in and day out. If you're just dealing with what God thinks of you, you'll probably end up in a healthy place. If you spend time and energy worrying about what other people think of you, you will be one sick puppy. Turn to the person next to you and say, sick puppy. All right. This is actually a sermon series on what to get, how to get what you want from God. You know, hopefully how to get what you need from God or how to get help from God. Uh, and so that's really what we're going to talk about after that long meditation on shame and shamelessness. In week one of the series, we talked about how important it is to persevere when you're making requests of the Lord uh, because uh, the prayers that you lift to the Lord will have varying results. Um, God will always give you something good in return for uh, a prayer that you make to him, but he will deliver it on his own timeline. Sometimes it will be quick and immediate, and it'll just be kind of like a beautiful breakthrough. Sometimes it will take a long time. You'll have to be like the persistent widow and just stick with it, you know, uh, for a while. And, and the trick is not to let the delayed answers keep you from seeking more answers, right? Because in life, you'll have God answer you quickly, and almost miraculously, and you'll also have these things where God doesn't seem to answer you or hear you at all, and you have to be willing to live with both simultaneously. Uh, that's just part of the human condition, and it's one of the tricks Jesus teaches to uh, a, a great prayer life, a great request life uh, with God. In the second week, we talked about how every request to God really needs to be a conversation with God. He's not like a you know, an email help center where you send in a problem and he sends a response. You make a request to God, hey God, I want this. Hey God, I want a, I want a better job. All right, step one. Step two is, what do you have to say about that? You know, what, what, what do you think about that? Would you like me to, you know, seek uh, a new job in some particular way? Is there something that you want to tell me about my current job that's important? But you're God and you get to talk back to me and let every request be a conversation that will help God keep you healthy, 
Occasionally, you'll have to examine your own motives. Occasionally, you'll have to understand more of his heart. But, but do that, right? Don't be demanding and simple-minded when you make requests of the Lord uh, because he walks with us and he develops us and, and you'll get some uh, really good stories that way. Uh, in week three, we talked about being the sort of person who gets breakthroughs. Who remembers the sort of person who gets breakthroughs? What do we call that sort of person? Excellent, I'm a fantastic teacher. We call that kind of person a believer. And Jesus teaches this, uh, uh, this lesson, on, many lessons on prayer, but he says, look, if you're going to pray, if you need something from God, you need to really believe in the things of God. All of them. You need to believe that God is good. You need to believe that God is answers. You need to be serious about the things of God like forgiveness and, and, and love. And if you're a believer through and through, uh, you know, if you believe like that, then you can command mountains to move into the sea and trees to uproot themselves. Belief is really fantastic. Just don't do it here, but not here. If you're going to be a believer, be a believer across all areas of your life, and then your requests of God will lead to breakthrough every time. That's a Jesus teaching, and that's an important uh, teaching to bear in mind. Last week I was gone, but Antonio talked about habitual prayer. You need to pray constantly. You need to constantly be holding your requests up to God. And if you do that, it develops a sort of, I don't know, spiritual muscle in you, a sort of character in you that lets you stay in the prayer game, uh, come what may, and lets you uh, hang long enough and well enough to produce fruit in your requests of God. And today, of course, we're talking about the power of shamelessness, which is one way of not letting the wrong things shape your behavior, not letting the wrong things shape your prayer life uh, or lack of prayer life as the case may be. And the passage that I want to talk about today comes from Mark chapter 10. I believe it's in your bulletins. I had one up here a second ago. And it's also going to be up here on the big board. Or you can follow along in your Bibles whether they be analog or digital. Are you still with me? How many of you stopped listening? You're ashamed to admit it. All right, here we go. Mark 10. Um, there are a couple versions of this story in the Gospels. I like this one. Mark 10, 45, 46 through 52. And this is a, a story out of the period of Jesus' life where he is traveling to Jerusalem for, for the last time. It's there that he will be killed. So he and his followers are heading to Jerusalem. There's a big crowd with him because a lot of people think he's the Messiah. And so this is the Messiah headed to Jerusalem and people are getting excited like, wow, you know, the Messiah, he might challenge the Romans for control of Jerusalem. This might be a coronation type moment. There's a lot of buzz. There's a lot of political tension. So tons of people are following Jesus right now and they're passing by Jericho on the road to Jerusalem. Um, sort of like, be like the suburbs of Metro Jerusalem at this point. Uh, then they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, well that helps, uh, was sitting by the roadside begging. So this blind beggar sitting by the road, and this huge crowd of people uh, comes trundling by. When he heard that Jesus of Nazareth, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, son of David was 
not just a genealogical title, but it was an honorific title associated with the Messiah. So he's basically being like, yo, you promised one, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And he's shouting this out in the midst of this huge crowd. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. Say, I can hear this guy somewhere in the crowd. Bring him to me. Call him over. So they called the blind man. Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. So they go from shut up to stand up. Come on. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. It's kind of describing the attitude this guy has. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi or teacher, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. That was a good day. That was an interesting day. Sorts of things that happen as you hung out with Jesus. There's this huge crowd following Jesus on the way to Jerusalem. There's this huge buzz around him. Everybody is feeling like this is a really important moment. There are some important things going on in society right here. And in the midst of this, there's this blind guy who decides to be a nuisance. It's this blind beggar, okay, lower than the low. It's this homeless guy, this handicapped homeless guy sitting on the sidewalk, and he just starts screaming. It's this large crowd going along, so you imagine that it's hugely noisy, right, and kind of chaotic, and there's this blind guy who can't really see who's where. He just kind of purged that Jesus of Nazareth was somewhere in the vicinity. So he does what he can do. He starts screaming, have mercy on me, Jesus. Have mercy on me, son of David. Um, we are told that his name is Bartimaeus. The prefix bar means son of. So Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. And so what do you, what's the obvious question? Well, what does Timaeus mean? They've gone out of your way to tell you the name. And there's actually a little bit of debate about what Timaeus means. It depends on whether it's uh, a derivative of a Greek name or a derivative of a Palestinian or more... Uh, Arabic Semitic name, but it has something to do with honor or dishonor. It either means like son of honor or um, son of uh, shame or struggle or, or something like that. It's this very curious name. There's some play about uh, honor and shame in his name, and evidently in his father's name as well, because it was Bar Timaeus, you know. Um, Something to do with, like, uh, the word handicapped might have been in his name. You know, so just like thoroughly labeled would be a, a fair way uh, to put it. Um, lots of theories about that. Uh, but they stressed it out. And one of the reasons also they might have stressed the name is because this guy became known to the early church. And so they wanted to uh, make sure that the churches knew who we were talking about uh, in this story, probably. Anyway, he was sitting by the roadside, starts screaming uh, out uh, to Jesus, and generally makes a huge nuisance to himself, such that the crowd tells him uh, to shut up. It's like, look, it's true that Jesus heals people, but not now. You're kind of missing the time. You're totally out of order. Shame on you. Shame on you. Just shut up, homeless beggar dude. 
I'm adding that in. That's the amplified version. But that's kind of what's going on, right? But Jesus hears him screaming somewhere in the midst of this crowd and says, ah, bring that guy to me. And then, and then he gets this interaction with Jesus. Um, stands before Jesus, and Jesus says uh, to him, <clears throat> what do you want me to do for you? What's wrong with that? Does that bug you? When you read a Bible story, it's always useful to say, what bugs me about this story? Here's what bugs me about his interaction with Jesus. The entire crowd at that point knew what the guy wanted. He's a blind guy screaming his head off for mercy from Jesus, right? You could have put that together, but he stands before Jesus, and Jesus is like, so, you know, what can I, what can I do for you? What do you think the guy is going to say? Uh, and so I, 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 I think what's going on here is that Jesus is being provocative in a way that, strictly speaking, is unnecessary, but spiritually speaking or personally speaking is probably right important. Jesus gets focused on the asking bit, on the asking bit, right? It's like, okay, ask again. Or ask fully and specifically. I want to get it out of your mouth. I want to get it out of your heart. That's important to me right now. What's Jesus up to there? He's clearly shepherding the moment in a way that he thinks is important. And he gets the guy to say the obvious. The guy says, I want to see. Well, yeah, I want to see. And then Jesus makes a response, and he doesn't say, well, let me pray for you. And he doesn't say, let me lay hands on you. Anything like that. He just says, well, that did the trick. Your faith has healed you. Take off, man. So whatever he gets out of the guy releases the breakthrough. What did he get out of the guy? What, what happened there? Can you tell? Jesus took his shame away? I think that's like half accurate. I think Jesus just got him to exercise shamelessness. It's not like Jesus sort of like did something. Let me wash you in the blood of the cross and the sacrifice. There was no, you know, like religious ritual there or anything. It was just like, hey man, what do you want? And something about that did the trick, you know? Um, the guy uh, previous to this day probably would have been considered shameful, right? He was blind, he was handicapped, he was cursed by God, quote unquote. He was a beggar by trade. Uh, beggars are not, you know, known for their lack of shame, you know. You, you ever come across people, maybe in other countries, maybe in developing countries, they're professional be beggars. There's like a whole begging class in a lot of countries. It's like they have perfected the attitude of uh, abject humility and sort of shamefulness and weakness, you know. They stick out their hand and they don't look you in the eye and stuff like that. We see it in a lot of our homeless beggars here uh, as well. But this guy's like, hey, over here, I could use some help. Hey, over here. You know, it's like the opposite of that attitude. He's, he's screaming uh, for, for help. And Jesus hears that, and it's like, well, that's an attitude that I can work with. Calls the guy over and says, all right, go even further. Tell me exactly what you want. What audacious thing can I do for you, dude? I don't want to know who you are. I don't want to know how you got here. I don't want to know 
what you believe in and what you don't believe in. I want to know what you want. Say it. Say it with that same attitude that made you scream in the middle of the crowd. And he's like, I want to see. And it's like heaven shifts in that moment. You know, it's like Jesus doesn't even add anything. He just says, all right, see ya. Oh, you're not blind anymore. He doesn't say, I have healed you. He doesn't say, God has healed you. He says, you know, your faith has healed you. It's like God is always trying to be generous with people. But when you do something with that sort of attitude, it just makes this generosity and power flow so much more freely. Are you catching it? Are you seeing the interaction? You know, it's just like exercise a little shamelessness, dude. You were doing it out on the road. Now do it right now. Let's do it. Come on. There it is. You're healed. You're no longer you're no longer blind. Uh, now you can see fully. I, I just think it's an amazing story. You think it's an amazing story? Yeah? Clap shamelessly for the story. You think it's an amazing story. <laughs> Exercise a little, I don't know, a little freedom. A little, I don't know, freedom from judgment and appropriateness. I, it's just a great story. You know, Jesus is a genius with people. And uh, I don't know. This story just really typifies it uh, for me. There's a special faith in the way the guy asked for help, and it was linked to shamelessness and a complete freedom from what other people thought, or at least a complete disregard for what other people thought of him. He had to push through so much negative social pressure to stand before Jesus, and then had to push through it again just to shout out uh, for what uh, he wanted. It takes a surprising amount of courage to not care what people think of you. It takes a surprising amount of courage to not care what people think of you. And courage, of course, is another word for faith. So it takes an extraordinary amount of faith to not care what people think of you. And a surprising amount of faith to not internalize fear of what people might think of you if the truth got out. We are so sick with shame. It takes surprising amount of faith to do stuff that is absolutely free of it. And this is a rare moment where Jesus got that sort of thing out of a human being. And of course, it released help, breakthrough, right there on the spot. This blind guy had enough faith, had enough courage to shrug off the crowd's opinion. I love that story in the moment where he stands up and it said it, he casts aside his cloak. Some translations will say he cast aside his covering. Well, I mean, he did that both literally and metaphorically in the story. I am naked before you all, and what I want is a miracle. Take me to Jesus. You know, yep. Here's my shame. Look at it. I don't care what you think. I've got a different agenda today. I've got a different agenda today. And... The rest uh, is history. Um, you might, you know, well say uh, that, you know, he was blind. He had a shot at a miracle. Jesus was coming by. So what did the guy have to lose? Of course, he shouted out. Um, and so he had an unfair advantage called desperation. Have you ever been so desperate that you stopped caring what people thought of you? I just went for it. Desperation can be a help. But, but look. People regularly take their own lives because of shame. 
And I think people regularly fail to live their lives because of shame. Think about this for a minute, and you will definitely agree with me. Shame kills. Shame stifles, you know? And I think that's why Jesus pretty much, you know, does backflips here when he sees a guy live in an, an opposite spirit to that. People go insane when they feel judged by others. There is nothing like it. There is nothing like it. People go and people can't stand the feeling of being judged by other people. I can't tell you how many people have left this church because they think someone else is thinking poorly of them. Got this outrageous email just this week uh, from a person who experienced a lot of graciousness and welcome in the church, but nobody said anything to this person, uh, but he's feeling bad about something and just kind of went off because sort of preemptively uh, attacking judgment. You know, we have a, a great allergy to it, and I think a lot of you here probably suffer with it. I will stay here as long as I can be sure that nobody is judging me for anything. Well, good luck with that. People will judge you of stuff every day of your life. This is an extraordinarily non-judgmental crowd of people, but please, you know, they're not perfect. Look around. I've probably said something that offends you today. One of my privileges as a pastor is that people go off on me all the time. I get judged morally, like for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Regularly when I preach, I see people with folded arms glaring at me, shaking their head no. People have flipped me off in the middle of sermons. I have, the last conference I did, not, not this one in Ireland, but before, I had people stand up and storm out and slam the door behind them uh, because I was talking about <gasps> grace, which is by far the most offensive thing in, in the kingdom teaching canon. It's like, you know, people judge me like eating peanuts <laughs> because I walk in a spiritual world, you know, and and as soon as you get serious about your spiritual life, man, you're going to just feel people judging you all the time. Get over it or you're dead. Just get over it or you are stuck in the mud. And don't you dare internalize it because as soon as you do, it will affect what you pray for. You will start shutting yourself down. You will start taking your own life inch by inch. You think that's true? Do you know what I'm saying and what I'm getting at? There is no such thing as having a judgment-free life. I am just aghast at current social discourse and the political climate. It is so steeped in judgment and offense and shame. People can't even speak freely anymore. You're afraid to log into Facebook, right? I mean, there's just, we have special terms now for forms of judgment that we have invented over the last eight or 10 years. You know, people getting, I don't even know what the latest terms are, getting, getting flamed, getting trolled, and all of those things. Those, those words did not exist a decade ago. Now we have specialists, right? We are just addicted to shame because we are so afraid of shame, you know? And you get addicted to whatever you're afraid of in life. That's another sermon, but fear is such a dominating thing. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox now. Um, but you get the point. 
people go insane when they feel judged. Uh, it is such a powerful feeling, and you'll do almost anything to avoid it. And uh, you can't. And you have to develop the attitude, whatever it is that you call it, confidence, freedom, audacity, brashness, to just not let it get to you. To just do the helpful thing anyway. It is so rare, it is so rare that when Jesus sees it, he calls it out. He underscores it. He celebrates it. And miracles happen in the moment. That's how rare it is to be a truly shameless person. It takes so much faith. So much faith. Uh, I think God makes individuals, which is to say only God makes people who can live in freedom uh, from what other people think and what they judge. And Jesus, Jesus repeatedly tells us not to judge others in scriptures. You know, judge not lest ye be judged, that sort of thing, one of the basic Jesus teachings. And he repeatedly tells us not to fear what people think of us. He repeatedly affirms individuals who do socially inappropriate things to reach God or to reach out to God. You know, the hemorrhaging woman who was unclean, who snuck up behind and touched his garment, Jesus eventually says, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. That's freaking awesome, woman. There's the Syrophoenician woman. You read about her in, in uh, what is it, Mark 7 and Matthew 15. This is the woman who had a daughter who was afflicted by a spirit that caused great sickness and pain. And the woman comes to Jesus and said, please, Jesus, help my little daughter. But she was a Syrophoenician woman. She was a foreigner. And, and, and Jesus had direction from God the Father to minister to Israel and to not minister to the foreigners yet. And so Jesus turns to that woman in her distress and said, no. Appreciate that your daughter is hurt, but it's not the time for that. Not the time for you. No. Jesus said no to her request. And then the woman said, well, even the, crumb, even the dogs get the crumbs from the children's table. How about a little bit of healing for my daughter? And Jesus is like, yes. See, now that sort of shamelessness, that sort of faith, that I cannot resist that, your daughter's healed, go in peace. Just sort of makes the declaration. Wherever Jesus encounters that sort of faith slash shamelessness, he just can't resist it, right? Because God can't resist it, because that's kind of the point of what God is doing in the universe. When, when Jesus encounters the lepers coming to him for healing, that was socially inappropriate because lepers were unclean. They were not even allowed to come around other people lest they spread the contagion of leprosy. When lepers came to Jesus and said, you know, have mercy on us, Jesus was like, yes, you know, I will. And then he hugged them. He laid hands on them. He kissed one, you know, because that sort of shamelessness that sort of faith slash shamelessness he cannot resist, and he wanted to kind of model freedom for it. Uh, there's, you know, the, the persistent widow he talked about, the, the neighbor who went to his, his neighbor's house in the middle of the night to pound on the door and to ask for bread. He's constantly telling parables about inappropriate people. The publican, uh, the traitor who stood in the temple courts and beat his chest and asked God for mercy. Jesus contrasts him to the Pharisee, the clean religious guy who asked God for approval. And Jesus votes for the criminal in that parable and said, this is the guy who gets justification from the Lord. He says, let the little children come to me. Right in the middle of this important thing that we're doing, these children are making a bunch of noise and climbing on Jesus. And he said, 
the kingdom of God belongs to people like this. You know why? Because children are inappropriate. Children are shameless. And Jesus said, you got to catch that spirit if you're going to make moves in the kingdom of God. you got to be shameless. you just not got to not care, you know. You have to not worry too much about what people think of you or what's polite or what's proper. So, question of today, whose opinion do you need to shrug off? I mean, whose opinion are you afraid of, you know? Whose opinion means a lot to you? I'll ask that question as a diagnostic because that opinion might be dangerous to you if you care a lot uh, about it. Um, but again, people often fear anonymous opinions or distant ones or past ones. Somebody once disapproved of me about something and I have been living in the shadow of that for the last 40 years. I've been trying to live up to my father's or my mother's expectation for decades. Living in shame because shame is insidious. It gets into your soul. You might be afraid of what people on Facebook think of you for Pete's sake. It's lame, but it's true. We're being controlled by somebody's opinion oftentimes every time we, we log on. I mean, certainly the news channels are and most social media are, right? So it could be, it could be from anywhere. But it's a great question to ask. Whose opinion do you need to shrug off? But remember that the point today, the point of this sermon series, is about how to get help from God. About how to get what you request uh, from the Lord. Um, and, and I guess in that light, my advice would be, just ask for whatever, man. Just ask for whatever and don't worry about it. There are better theological ways to put that but I'm trying to just kind of communicate the spirit of proper prayer. It's like, hey, I want to see. Hey, I really could use a new job. Yeah. Um, you know what I want? I want a spouse. I want a spouse. Um, or, you know, how about kids? Or I could really use some money right now. Anybody? What I really want is a pastor who preaches shorter sermons. Dear God, <laughs> let your kingdom come. You know, like whatever it is, you just kind of ask for it with the attitude, the tone that I'm modeling, and you don't complicate it too much, right? God can say no. And if he does, don't let that rejection turn to shame, which is what people do. Oh, I guess I was wrong. Capital W-R-O-N-G, wrong. I guess I'm a wrong sort of person. I feel so ashamed. Uh, for not getting the breakthrough that I wanted. I mean, shame is insidious. It creeps in everywhere. Don't let it get you. More than that, uh, try to have your prayers and pursuits of God be, be reckless. Have a sort of recklessness in them, a sort of recklessness that does not entertain doubts about propriety. Lord, I ask, uh, I'd like to ask you for something, but I'm not sure that it's your will. I'm not sure that you're asking in the right way, and I'm not sure that you're going to answer me because I'm such a wretch, and I know, you know it's important uh, to confess that I'm a wretch and stuff like that. That's just, that's not, that's not reckless enough. You know, this guy models recklessness in the middle of the crowd. Hey, my life sucks. How about a miracle? Right now, don't tell me to shut up. It's Jesus. Lord, I want to see. That's the sort of spirit that gets caught, not taught. Amen? Um, 
What do you think? Audacious? Reckless? All right. Uh, I don't care what you think. Healthy, not healthy. Because, uh, you know, I need you to say it's healthy or I'm going to feel terrible. <sighs> Thank you. I was afraid of being rejected there for a, for a moment. Um, ask God for what you, uh, what you want, guys. Ask God for life, because here's how it is. You're supposed to be flowing with a river of life and freedom that is so plentiful that it bubbles up out of you and nourishes the world around you. And uh, it's a fight uh, to, uh, to believe that and to grasp. It's especially a fight to believe in and to grasp it if you've got things that are bothering you in life. You've got handicaps. You've got shames or guilts. You gotta be willing to cast them aside. You gotta be willing to cast them aside to get the help from the Lord that you need. And y'all need help. Father God, uh, we pray that you deal with our hearts this morning and free us uh, from uh, shame or fear of man or whatever it is uh, that you want to call it. We pray, Lord, that this would be a day in which we cast aside our covering that we would be willing to let it all hang out, come what may, whether you say yes, no, or wait a while. Uh, we are before you, God, and we live before you. And I pray that Blue Water Mission would always live before you in honesty. <clears throat> I pray, uh, Lord, that this would indeed be a judgment-free zone. Uh, but even more than that, Lord, that it would be a shame-free zone, even if judgment happens on occasion. We are impervious to it, Lord, or at least we want to be. Give us the proverbial thick skin along with our soft heart. Uh, speak, Holy Spirit, uh, to your children here this morning, and I pray uh, that... Uh, you would provoke in us the sort of recklessness that you want in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.